As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Welcome back or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sports drag racing. Thank you for checking us out, whether you are watching us live here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. Be sure to interact with the show. We'll be checking in with that as we go along. Welcome also to those of you watching via traditional means or listening, I should say, via traditional means on the podcast feed. I am joined as by usual by my co-host, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Big Jed, what's shaking in Alabama tonight? Oh, Bogak, you know, it's a pretty typical night here for me. Just kind of getting in from another day in paradise on the J-O-B and uh, fired up about the podcast. A lot of good stuff to talk about. NHRA battles heating up, some decided, some not, you know, then some, a very interesting topic, if you will, coming up later in the show. It's going to be awesome. We've got, we've got champions. We've got drama heading to Pomona. We've got debatable decisions from our friends at the NHRA. We've got some conflict between our friends at the WDRA and one specific racing entity. we got a lot to talk about, Big Jet. Where That's quite we? a show. I'm, I'm hobbled, but I'm fighting through the pain. I'm ready. Yeah, Luke, uh, you shared with me pre-show. You know how you had a trip to Gulfport and you know, a race to KOC and roughed yourself up a little bit. You, you know, what do you what do you say when uh, when I'm down and I'm still on the show? I'm, I'm battling playing through, through the pain. Playing, playing through the pain. You're here yeah. for the listeners. The, the things we do yeah. for the loyal listeners. Yeah. And you're definitely doing that. Yeah, I was having a great weekend, man. It was gorgeous weather in Gulfport. We didn't do any good at all, but my son was having fun racing. My, my youngest son was having fun selling lemonade, sold the heck out of some lemonade. I was doing great wheelies. And then in the span of 15 minutes, I all but crashed my beloved Vega. And I was trying to load up and went down in a heap. I rolled my ankle. I thought I broke my ankle. It popped. Next thing I knew, I was laying on the ground. Weather stations broke. I was just trying to take my weather station down. I still don't know what happened, but I didn't break my ankle. I sprained it. I'm, fine. I'm hobbling around a little bit today. It's the first time I've been able to put weight on it. It's rough getting old, man. Yeah, it's been a while. I used to roll my ankle a lot. It's been a while for me, but when I when I went down, I mean, it was always just straight to the ground. Did, did you, you know, did you hit and give a, uh, you know, and then, you know, kind of grunt I'm and moan a little bit? I don't know if anybody was in ear, within earshot except for my five-year-old, but I'm pretty confident in saying that I screamed like a little girl. <laughs> okay, <laughs> well, I can understand that. Surprise. It was probably five seconds on the ground trying to figure out what just happened. And is my ankle broken? And why does my ass hurt more than my ankle? Shouldn't my ankle hurt more? I was so <laughs> Oh, my goodness. Well, you know, that stuff happens, unfortunately. And the more birthdays you've had, the harder it is to get over. So 
I, along with all of the loyal listeners, I'm sure are wishing you well, my friend. The only event really worth talking about last weekend happened in Las Vegas. It was the final NHRA Lucas Oil Series event of the 2023 season. And we crowned two champions, Big Jed. Let's start there. Let's honor the champs. John LaBouche Jr. earns the 2023 NHRA Super Comp World Champion. Bruno Massel Jr. earns the 2023 Competition Eliminator World Championship. Let's start with Little John. Coming into the event, it looked like all but a sure thing. John LaBouche Jr. was going to get this done. He was there. He could not earn points. He was there strictly to block. The only driver with an opportunity to surpass John LaBouche Jr. was Tanner Theobald. Theobald had to make it to the final in Vegas, then win the World Finals in Pomona. Pretty tall order. He advanced to round three in Vegas before losing to Tom Bayer, and that sealed the deal. Big Jed with the win, like we discussed a couple of weeks ago, LaBoose joins a pretty exclusive group. He is just the 14th driver, at least by our count here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. He is the 14th driver in NHRA Lucas Oil Series history to win sportsman world championships in multiple categories obviously this year's super comp crown comes on the heels of his 2017 super gas world championship pretty exclusive company big jed just 14 drivers have done that won world championships in multiple categories john labus jr adds his name to that list we could have another driver add his name to that list by the end of the week yeah no doubt uh, obviously uh, Rizzoli has an opportunity to do just that in the same season, but as does Brad Labouche. Yes, as does Brad Burton. That's a great point. Back to to Labouche. You know what he is accomplishing out there is uh, is just phenomenal. Uh, John is a great driver. He is one of the one of the few people to have dominated on the bracket side, and then you know went this route and accomplished so much already. Not that he's only been doing this a few years. He's been doing it for many years, but really just committed to doing this in the last eight to 10 years, kind of full time. And it's, you know, a couple of world championships is a big deal, Luke. So great performance by John, 14th driver to win uh, in multiple categories, win a world championship in multiple categories. That's uh, that's very elite company for sure. So John cementing himself as one of the greats, if he hasn't already, which he probably had, uh, this just really adds to the resume and puts him on a level that not many have ever reached. Without question. I was actually, I was thinking about, like, we've talked a little bit about how kind of wide open the race is for this year's driver of the year. I think John LaBoost Jr. belongs on that list. What he's done on the NHRA Tour, I think if a couple of rounds go a different way on the big dollar bracket racing tour for him. He's probably more at the forefront of that conversation. If you'll remember was uh fall fling Bristol where they did a weekend points. I think John finished fourth, right? That doesn't do a whole, whole lot of bracket racing anymore. When he does, he makes some noise. If a couple of those late round finishes turn into wins, I think he's more solidified in that conversation, but obviously a tremendous season for one of the best drivers of our generation, inarguably, uh, John LaBoose Jr. And how about Bruno Massel? Bruno Massel, similar in some ways to John LaBoose Jr. We did our, our, our odds courtesy of Winlight Bets last week, and they were the two biggest favorites, right, that we could bet on. It was, it was Bruno and it was Little John. Similar uh, situation coming in, the only driver who could surpass Bruno Massel to win the competition eliminator title coming into Vegas last week was one Jim Greenheck. He had to win the event and not beat Bruno in the final to win the championship. He was not able to do that. Greenheck turned it 8,000th red in round one opposite Josh Lee. And with that, the championship was Bruno Massel Jr.'s. It's Bruno's fourth competition eliminator world championship, making him the first, the only to date, Big Jed, four-time world champion in competition eliminator history. Are you ready for a little comp eliminator trivia time? Oh, man, I, I love comp eliminator trivia time. Right in your wheelhouse, I, right? I think I've got a standard answer for great performances in comp eliminator, but I'm gonna, we'll see. We'll see where I land. I, I think I know where you're going, and it is one of the correct answers. Okay. Bruno awesome. Massel just won his fourth competition eliminator world championship. He is now the, the ultimate champion of competition eliminator. No one else has done that in the history of the category. Bruno, including Bruno, no, in addition to Bruno, 
Seven other drivers hold multiple competition eliminator championships. Obviously, none of them four-time champs. How many of the seven can you name? Uh, probably one, and okay. that's David Rampey. That is correct. Three-time world champ. Um, man, I don't know my comp eliminator uh, statistics very well at all because, I mean, I'm getting nothing around. I'm not getting a single name popping up in my head. Even, I mean – Loyal listeners, help us out. Get, get this going here. David Rampey is one correct answer. There are six more. Can anybody can anybody pipe in on the Facebook page? Give Jed a hand. I'm struggling. Um, I just got a text message, and I'm, I'm at complete transparency here. Um, <laughs> Dean Carter. Dean Carter. Nice. That's one that I'm not sure I'd have got. He is a two-time world champion. Nice. Give well, kudos. That's, that's a, a good friend you got right there, Big Jed. That come from the that club. come from a gentleman. That come from a gentleman that's a, that's a real statistician in in race, especially sportsman race. And that come from Ryan Gladehorn. Nice, he nailed it. That's one or that's two. Oh man, yeah. I see. How did I not get Aragona? Granky, Granky's a three time world champ. There are uh, Bruno was one of four three time competition eliminator world champs coming into this season. So there's one more that's got three. Several others that have two. You've named three of the seven multi time competition eliminator world champion. Hmm. I'm uh, I'm done, Luke. I mean, I see some names popping up here, and I'm sure they're right, but but I'm no help myself. I see in the chat, Dale Taros nailed it. Bill Maropoulos is the other three-time competition eliminator world champion. We're going back a few years there. If you want to go back a few more years, Big Jed, a man that was a hero in the, the area where I grew up, how about one Coleman Roddy? Coleman Roddy, two-time competition eliminator world champion back in the early 80s. Mm. The other two are a little bit more recent. Andy Manna, West Coast legend, and the most recent, Craig Bourgeois, who I believe claimed his last title in 2022. There's your oh, seven. Wow. That's a, that's a trivia that I would have never gotten. I'm not even sure I could have researched that and gotten it. I think you just got to know. No, I, 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 I didn't just know. I, I did some research. Austin helped. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm sure. And so long story short, John LaBouche Jr., Bruno Massel Jr., they join Kyle Rizzoli, who clinched the championship in stock several weeks ago, and Brandon Miller, who clinched the championship in top sportsman last week. That's four of the seven Lucas Oil Series sportsman classes that have been decided as we head to the finale in Pomona. That means the three still up for grabs, Big Jed. Let's start with, there's going to be high drama this weekend in Pomona. I don't know if it can live up to Bob Locke standards. That's a pretty high bar, but there is some good stuff that's going to happen one way or another in Pomona. Let's start with the top dragster category because, Jed, that's the only class in which the lead changed hands last weekend. Vince Mussolino came into the event leading by... About a round over one Clint Geis. We talked about this before. Mussolino, Division One runner from the, the state of New York, opposite Clint Geisy, the Division Six runner from the state of Washington. They are meeting to lock horns in Vegas and now ultimately Pomona. Coming into Vegas, Vince was leading. He dropped out in round two, which failed to improve his score. I guess just worth noting, like if we're going to sing the praises, we can also say like, I know Vince is your boy, Big Jed. He he has reached out to me as well. I'm rooting for Vince. Kind of an ugly loss in round two. He's 006, fourth out under. He got there like half a second against he was getting chased, but not by much. Two tenths. Like, I mean, I'm sure it's a round that he'd like to have back. Tough, tough way to go down. Meanwhile, Clint Geisy advanced to round four. They've done a pretty respectable lap there in the quarterfinals. He was 28 total, loses to Aaron Stinky's 24 total. But by advancing to round four, Geisy improved to 618 points. Nine round, nine, nine rounds, nine points, a little less than one round ahead of Mussolino. So what does all that mean? What do we care about going into Pomona? Going into Pomona, Vince Mussolino, who trails by less than one round, is improving a first round loss. Meanwhile, Clint Geisy improving a second round loss. So in order for Vince Mussolino to win the title, he must win first round and at least match Clint Geisy round for round. Assuming Mussolino wins first round, they could lose the same round. Vince would win the championship. In order for Clint Geisy to win, it can obviously win if Vince Mussolino loses in round one, fails to improve, or, or perhaps doesn't qualify. I guess that could be on the table as well. If Vince Mussolino does win round one, in order to win the title, Clint Geisy must outlast him by at least one round. 
And I just got to throw it out there. I'm going to do this in each class. Like the best case scenario for those of us watching along at home would be that these two qualify on opposite sides of the ladder, make their way through the field, and we get a final round head-to-head matchup for all the marbles. I guess the second best thing is they meet at any point in elimination because at any point in eliminations, head-to-head, the, the winner of that round wins the championship. It'd just be cooler if it was in the final. <laughs> yeah, so – Going back to the first part of this discussion, uh, extremely tough loss for Vance. Man, that that one is uh, that one's brutal. And you don't get to where Vance is in this chase by making runs like that. So, not real sure what happened, why that happened to him, but you know it's all part of the story, bro. So hopefully Vance can get his mind right and recover. And obviously he has a he has a, a task in front of him. It's not doesn't appear to be extremely difficult at this point, but that's easy for me to say. I'm not a cross-country racing for a world exactly championship. So I guess I say that trying to set up my next statement. I, I want Vance to go into this race, not trying to win the championship, just win the round you're in. Just win the round you're in and focus on that and that only, and don't worry about what Geisy's doing and don't worry about any other factors if that's possible and just focus on the round that you're in and what it's going to take to win it. And if you do that uh, successfully, you're going to be the, the event champion and the world champion. So, uh, Vance, don't uh, don't get caught up in the hype, brother. And uh, if someone mentions points to you, just tell them you're, you're there to win the race. Hopefully that happens for you. But, and that's certainly not knocking on Clint Geis. He, he has uh, performed extremely well and – certainly put himself in a great position as well and deserves uh, deserves the uh, the accolades or certainly the mentions for what he's accomplished but you know Vance is my boy sorry Clint I'm pulling for Vance but you're uh, you're my next best choice as a former champion in this category once said big jet Anthony Bertozzi once told me yo dog if you win a championship they'll call and let you know you ain't got to keep up with it every round that's your advice to Vince great right? point yeah <laughs> That is my advice. Great point. In the Superstock category, Big Jed, Wyatt Wagner rolled into the Lucas Oil Series event in Las Vegas. And what did he do, Big Jed? What did Wyatt Wagner do? Wyatt Wagner won the damn race. Like, he won the damn race. That was huge. <laughs> Brad Burton came into the weekend leading the Superstock chase somewhat comfortably. We, we, we broke it down last week. It was coming into the weekend. It was Wyatt Wagner. It was Tyler Cahilly, it was Kyle Rizzoli, and it was Ryan Monfort. Those were the only four still with a mathematical shot at overtaking Brad Burton. Cahilly's stream ended in round two. He lost a tight race to Jody Lay. Ryan Monfort fell in round three to Paul Wong. That eliminated his chance. Wyatt Wagner went and won the damn race, Big Jed. He defeated the aforementioned Jody Lang, former world champion himself, Jody Lang, in the final round. It was Wyatt's fourth win of the season, and that win... Puts him within just three points, Big Jed. Less than one round, way less than one round, behind Brad Burton. Burton, by the way, you only get to claim your best eight races in an HRA competition. I missed this last week. I was looking at his points, Fletcher. You get to claim eight. Brad Burton has been to seven finals. He's got three wins and four runner-ups, and he's in a precarious spot. Like, it might not hold up. What's even more impressive than that? Seven finals in those eight races you get to claim? He's only been to 11 races. Been to seven finals wow. in 11. Oh, absolutely unreal season. Now, <clears throat> Brad Burton, if this sounds familiar, one year ago today, we were talking about the pressure that was on Brad Burton headed into Pomona. If you remember, he was in a dogfight with Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. Same driver, different class. A year ago, it was Stock Eliminator. Burton came up heartbreakingly short, one round shy of the world championship. He ended up tied last season with Jimmy Hidalgo Jr. Lost the tiebreaker because of a a head-to-head run a week or two prior in Las Vegas. He once again, it's a little bit different situation. He was trailing last season coming into Pomona with a real shot. This year, he's leading coming into Pomona with a real shot. Um, Brad Burton, no stranger to this situation, but man, if it doesn't go his way two years in a row, that's that's rough. Yeah, obviously that'd be uh, kicking the guts um, or something that rhymes with guts, uh, you know, at, at the highest level. But I mean, what else can you do? You Brad Burton, you, you've been to 11 races, you've been to seven finals. 
you know, you're doing everything you can do. It's just insane talent in that category. And it doesn't seem like no matter how well someone does each year, it doesn't seem like they get breathing room. This is just a category that's loaded with great talent. And if you emerge as the champion in the superstar category, you can rest assured you have raced your ass off, Luke. That's just the way it is. And Brad has done that. But unfortunately for him, he's still got a little work to do. And we're talking a lot about Brad Burton. Like, I don't think we can overstate the clutch performance for Wyatt Wagner to come in on that stage, knowing what he needed to do and why it's in his early 20s, like obviously super talented. Um, I've talked about it before. Like, I don't I don't know in my racing career that I've felt pressure like that final divisional at Vegas, Pomona, like just the the championship on the line and, and it's down to the last race or two and everyone knows what has to happen like to come through to not only win the race but to, to perform in the manner that he did absolutely unreal so here's where we stand coming into Pomona Wyatt Wagner can take the lead by winning round two two win lights and he is likely the world champion certainly would take the lead away from Brad Burton now Burton could at least in theory still improve his score but in order to do that, do you know what he's got to do, Big Jet? I'm afraid he's got to win the damn race. Like. And nothing short of it. He has to win the race to do so. What's crazy, Brad Burton, he's been to three national events this year. You get to claim your best three out of your first six. He's been to three. You know what he's improving? A runner-up. Yeah. yeah, he's got to win the race to improve. That's, uh, that's tough. Absolutely. So Wagner <clears throat> wins the title if he wins round two and – anything short of a victory in the event from Brad Burton or Wagner clinches the title outright by winning round four. Even if Burton does win the damn race, if White Wagner wins round four, it's over. Now, one name that we haven't talked much about, our current stock eliminator world champion, Kyle Rizzoli. He's still got an outside shot, Big Jed. In order to have any hope of winning the world championship, what's Kyle Rizzoli got to do? Kyle Rizzoli's got to win the damn race. Kyle Rizzoli's got to win the damn race. And in addition to him winning the race, he needs he needs White Wagner to lose early, right? So I guess let's see if 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 Riz were to win the race, Wagner falls in round three. They would be tied at six eighty nine. I have no idea who'd win the tiebreaker. So he probably needs White Wagner to lose second round or earlier, then go on and win the race. At that point, he could run Brad Burton in the final. The winner would then win the championship. Rizzoli Burton. That would maybe be. One of the best case scenarios. It would be the fourth time this season that those two met in the final. That'd be the best case scenario for anyone not named Wyatt Wagner, right? Other cool scenarios. How about Burton versus Wagner round two? That would decide the title. Winner of that one wins it. Well, unless Rizzoli goes and runs the take it, right? With a Burton win, Rizzoli wins the race. What about Rizzoli versus Wagner round three? The last time that Wyatt could lose and Rizzoli could still have a shot at the title. There's bound to be a matchup. I guess what I'm getting at between the two categories, top dragster and superstock, there's bound to be a matchup at Pomona that either decides or goes a long, long way toward deciding the world championship. And for those of us on the outside looking in, there's nothing cooler than that. Yeah, for those of us outside looking in, you're right. There's nothing cooler. For those on the inside having to deal with it, man, you're having to look over both shoulders, Luke. You're having to look ahead, look behind. I mean, this is this is a very tight battle with still several different scenarios that could impact the championship. So it's going to be very exciting and certainly fun to watch. And, you know, these guys, while we feel like, man, this is pressure at a level that, that you just don't want or need, that's what these guys do. These are these are tremendous talents in the race car, and Brad has dealt with very uh, very tough um, pressure packed situations before, and certainly I'm sure Wyatt and I know Kyle Rizzoli has as well. So this is going to be great. It's going to be certainly earned when someone gets to hoist that trophy as the as the world champion in the superstock category. But you know Kyle Rizzoli has already won the stock world championship. I don't I don't know if that takes the pressure off of you or if you're thinking now I could accomplish something that you just don't do. I mean people just don't do this and I could accomplish this. So does that make the pressure more for Riz or less? I you know it's hard for me to get a grasp on that having never been in that situation. But when you talk about driver of the year, 
I mean, a guy that's won his first stock world championship or his first world championship period, and he's he's going to the last race with a with a great opportunity to do it in super stock as well. Uh, Kyle is definitely need to be way up on the list for driver of the year. And what Wagner did in that clutch situation, uh, that is huge, especially for a, a young man with uh, no more birthdays than he's had. Very cool. And then you got bad Brad. I mean, he's as good as there is. Strap him in and hits the bottom bulb in any capacity. Uh, and this guy has been there and done that as well. So, you know, uh, if you if you have to give the edge in terms of experience and having been in this type of situation, I think you have to give it to Brad. I'm not saying Brad's the, the best of the three by any means because they're all three great. But just when you encompass everything that's going into this championship, the tension, the pressure, the moment, the stage. I think Brad has probably experienced that more than any of the others. So you have to give him the edge. Oh, with all due respect to, to Rizzoli and Wagner, you're 100% right. I mean, Brad Burton has hoisted two world championships. He was in this situation a year ago. That doesn't mean that he's more likely to succeed than the other two, but he definitely understands completely what he's getting into. And I don't think I don't think yeah. Kyle Rizzoli or White Wagner can. Like I, I don't I don't think anybody could until you've lived it. So that's a great point. I, I like where you were going on Rizzoli too. Like from a mental standpoint, are you more free? I know how Rizzoli's going to approach this. Like that's the most laid back dude in the world, right? Seemingly. <laughs> but do you approach yeah. this as this is this has been a dream season, regardless? Like look at this, it's a free roll at this point. I'm already the stock world champ. Or to your earlier point, Jed, like the flip side yeah. of this is. There will never be likely never be another opportunity in his life to win two world championships in one year. And that's on the table. You know what I mean? So I can see I can see yeah. going both ways. Yeah, I can see that adding pressure to the situation for sure. And certainly, uh, you know, given anybody the advantage over the other is not uh, not something that I'm I'm trying to do. But as you mentioned and, and I mentioned, I, I still think um the one that, that has had to deal with this type of pressure more than the others is Burton. So I feel really good about his chances, but it wouldn't surprise me if any of the three obviously get it done. It's going to be fun to watch. Like Without question, the, uh, the other fun element to this, and we saw this last year, I, I guess this is on the table, perhaps in top dragster as well. We saw this between Hidalgo and Burton last year, like the, the gamesmanship of this starts not in round one, in Q1, like Wyatt Wagner, I think, has a fast enough car to at least threaten the top qualifier position, which would get him the first buy. If you could eliminate, he's got to get two win lights. If you could get one of them for free, you obviously want to take advantage of that. Similarly, um, if you're Brad Burton or Kyle Rizzoli, you don't want to see Wyatt Wagner win round one or two. Like There is opportunity for each of those guys to position themselves on the ladder where they could have a say in that. Like the, the, the gamesmanship from the first time run, the first qualifying session, I should say, is is super intriguing in a category like this. Very good point, Luke. Uh, you know, going to the pole here could be huge. Get you that freebie where everybody else has got the pressure in round one. And I don't know how many cars are entered in Pomona, but uh, I know sometimes getting that first one also puts you in position to get another one somewhere late in the race and uh, and that could happen as well for Wagner so you fool around get yourself a couple of freebies not the way he wants to earn it but that is earning it in every sense of the word because to go to the pole takes a tremendous financial commitment and certainly uh, you got to work on your program and be good at it uh, so you know if he does get that buy run or any buy runs as a result of going to the pole and he did earn it but you know, back to real quick, back to Burton. I know he's been in this situation before, come up short of the goal last year, but it ain't like he made a bad run. If I remember right, he was like 15, take 15 or 20, take 15 or something. It wasn't a bad run at all and just come up short to Hidalgo's drop. So, uh, uh, you know, Burton, Burton in a great position, but I know he ain't resting easy because Riz and Wagner are some bad cats. The last category that we need to talk about is perhaps the most intriguing, definitely the most dramatic from a week ago. And that is the super gas category, Big Jed. We've set the table on this. Sherman Adcock ran away and hid 
to start the season. We said, I said this was over in March, I think. You called it in January before it even staged. This looked yeah. like a done deal. <laughs> I don't even know where to start, Vijay. This is this is so such a layered story. Coming into last weekend, we've we had talked about it here on the show. Only Trevor Larson and Austin Williams could unseat Sherman coming into the final divisional event of this of the week. And let's be honest, both of them, they seemed like they were pretty long odds. Austin's quest ended in round four. He had to win both races. He had to win Vegas and Pomona. He fell in round four at Vegas. That took him out of championship contention. Trevor Larson could take the lead with a win at either Vegas or Pomona. He didn't quite do it, Big Jed, but he almost won the damn race. Trevor Larson advanced to the final round in Vegas. He took a 22 thousandths of a second starting line advantage over Damon Bustamante. Trevor was 11, Bustamante was 33. I'd say Trevor Larson wins that round 85, 90% of the time. That's a pretty significant starting line advantage. Trevor Larson could not get down the racetrack, was forced to lift a little past half track in the final round. That gave Damon Bustamante the win. Trevor's still very much in contention, but there is work yet to do. Had he won that final, he would he would be the world champion. It would be over. Now, to overtake Adcock and win, let's be honest, like perhaps one of the most improbable titles in Lucas Oil Series history. Like if you had told me in June that Sherman Adcock wasn't going to win, I would have laughed. And if you would have said, it's going to be Trevor Larson that overtakes him, I would have laughed harder. Trevor hadn't staged for a round of super gas at that point. And Sherman Adcock had over 600 points. To pull this off, one of the most improbable titles in history, Trevor Larson will have to win round two at Pomona. At this point, it is either Sherman or Trevor. No one else can win the title. But Jed, he was one win light away. He had a 200s advantage on the starting line. It was in his grasp, and he couldn't get on a racetrack. Uh, extremely Extremely tough break there for Trevor. Uh, certainly, I've made it known I'm pulling for Sherman, but don't want to see that happen to anyone. And Luke, you're, the the percentage of time that you gave that Trevor wins that race with a 22 uh, thousandths advantage on the starting line is it starts with a nine for sure, and it could possibly end with a nine. <laughs> I mean, the guy just don't lose those. He's that good. So. Um, tough, tough break. I know we're going to discuss that whole that whole scenario and what happened here shortly, but goodness, he's put himself in a great position. And unbelievable to think that, that Sherman could lose his stranglehold. Now, he didn't have a hold on it. He didn't have it by the fingertips. He had an absolute stranglehold on this championship. And to think that that could slip away from him is not even fathomable. Um, it's just, it's hard to believe it's happening, but Trevor is that good and he's put himself in a great spot. You know, obviously seems like the favorite to get it done now, only having a couple around. Well, at this point, Sherman's odds certainly look better than they did when Trevor Larson and David Bustamante left the starting line in the final event, <laughs> yeah. where, yes. where Trevor was, 1,300 feet away from a world championship. Now he is two win lights away from a world championship. Now, a week ago, Big J, we got to dive into this. Like, this is the only way this conversation can go. And I'm surprised that this hasn't blown up more than it has. But a week ago, we debated whether or not the powers that be at the NHRA made the right decision. If you'll recall, if you listened to last week's show, you know that at the national event in Las Vegas, seven days prior to this event, Two pairs of super comp round four were rerun because those two pairs could not get down the racetrack. They re they pushed the race off to the next morning. This was Sunday evening. They pushed the race off till Monday morning. And not only did they pick up where they left off, they basically retroactively reran two pairs that had gotten down the track on Sunday night. Okay. Two pairs of super comp got rerun. They elected to do so. NHRA elected to do so. Seven days prior to it. Sunday, Trevor Larson could not get down the same lane at the same racetrack with the world championship on the line. Those same powers that be that determined a rerun was in order one week prior looked Trevor Larson in the eye and said, man, that's tough luck. A week ago, you advocated on NHRA's behalf. You said that the rerun was the right call. That was the right decision. Two questions for you. Do you still feel that way today? And... 
do you feel that the decision not to rerun this super gas final was also the right call? Well, I certainly would look like a hypocrite if I if I said I changed my mind on that. So um, I meant to to go research this and try to get a feel for the exact scenario that happened or the exact circumstances. You know, the the week prior, they come out the first two cars don't even get close to getting down the track and and that lane, and they say, "Wait a minute, we we got an issue here," and they stop and. I guess, for all intents and purposes, determined that we didn't give the racers anywhere close to the racing surface that we should have given them. So we're making this decision to handle it this way, and that's rerun. In this particular situation, I don't know how similar it was. I don't know if everybody else got down the lane and Trevor didn't. Was he the final car? I don't know all of that scenario or situation. So I can't really say that I feel did any different than I felt last week. But if there were anything similar to the previous week and what happened with the only cars that tried to go down that lane after the pros had done their thing and celebrated, then I would feel the same. I'd feel like Trevor deserved a rerun, but not sure exactly how that played out. I don't know exactly how it played out either in full transparency. And there is obviously some some room for subjectivity after the fact here. And perhaps there is a great argument for not rerunning this super gas final round. <laughs> My take on this, Jed, I'm going to go back to where I was last week. Like, while we'd all like for there to be room for subjectivity, like for reasonable minds to make good decisions based on all of those factors, right? All of those unique factors to the specific moment above the objectivity of the wind light of the timing system. All I heard last week, Big Jed, from our loyal listeners, I got calls, I got texts, I got emails. Luke, you're too black and white here. You're you're not seeing the forest for the trees. It's not always that clear because I said, once you once a pair goes down a racetrack, it happened. You can't take that wind light off the board. That's what I said. And I will stick by it because there, while there is room for subjectivity, it lies in the hands of the starter and the race director. That's who makes these decisions in the moment prior to any pair staging up. When they don't think it's safe to race, guess what? They stop the race. And at the national event a week ago, I applaud them for making that call mid-round that, hey, mid-round at a national event, which is damn near unprecedented to say, it's not safe out there, it's time to stop. But those same individuals also made that subjective call to send those first two pairs of super comp. They said, it's safe, boys, let's roll. Now that may not have been the right call to send them, but that was the decision. And once you send that pair, my argument is that's a race. You can't take wind lights off the board. There's no room for subjectivity after the fact. I've got no problem with them shutting it down for the day. It's probably the right call, maybe the right call, two pairs too late, but that's the decision that was made. I did and do have a problem with reversing the decision that was made. And the biggest problem with it, which has come into full focus now, is that in doing so, they opened Pandora's box. Okay, the precedent has been set. We re-ran two pairs at a national event. So the next time that my car spins the tires, hey, the track sucked. Do I get a rerun? Those guys did, okay? When safety and track prep can be debated after the fact, that's way too much room for subjectivity. Now, I couldn't have pre- predicted, Jed, that it would come to a head in quite this dramatic of a fashion, a fashion in the final round for the world championship. But NHRA really backed themselves into a corner here. Like, if we zoom out from this just in a vacuum, I don't think Trevor Larson should get a rerun. Just like I didn't think the two super comp drivers should have got a rerun a week ago. But that precedent was set. And given that precedent being set, I don't know how you look Trevor Larson in the eye and say, sorry, man. It's just a really slippery slope that they created for themselves. Uh, Obviously, yes, Luke, the the NHRA has put themselves in the line of criticism, which is not, you know, uncommon for them to be in. And certainly don't feel like there's any bias of any kind in their decision-making process. So, you know, while this is not something you'd hear me say a whole lot, I have to trust that they felt like, you know, again, 
I said, as I said last week, there's a difference to me in the racetrack being not optimal and being unsafe. Uh, I feel like they decided it was unsafe given the conditions the previous week. And I don't know that they wouldn't admit maybe this time that it wasn't optimal. But if there were other cars going down that lane in the same time frame, I don't know how they could do anything but stick with what they the result they got. Is it does it set a, a bad precedent? Does it set the tone for a lot of criticism and certainly a lot of blowback when you make the decision to rerun? Absolutely. And I could see that. I could see that through the messages. I could see that through the through the social media outlets. The people that have done this have gotten so many bad beats from the NHRA, you included, that you guys have just learned to take it. You've just learned to just, you know, that's just the way it is on this stage. The reruns shouldn't happen because if you go back, there should have been hundreds of reruns over the years. But that still, to me, doesn't take away the fact that they got it right last week. Now, they they might get it wrong. They might intend to get it wrong for the rest of anybody's racing career. That might just They might handle it just like this for the rest of NHRA's life. But I think last week they got it right. Is it the same as they always do it? Absolutely not. Is it, has it ever been seen before in NHRA competition? Not that I'm aware of and certainly doesn't seem like it based on everybody else's opinion. So I get how they've handled it in the past and I see how they handled this. I can't say they were wrong the way they handled this one because I don't really know the scenario. I don't know it well enough to comment on it. But I will say if other cars were going down the track, in the same time frame, and maybe even some faster cars in the sportsman category and not having trouble, they probably did all they could do in this situation. So um hate so, these decisions, hate having to make them when I'm a promoter, and I know NHRA does as well, but I will still stand behind what I said last week, that they got that right last week. This particular one, I can't say they got it right, but I certainly can't say they got it wrong. We'll agree to disagree. The reason... My, my only pushback for you, Big Jed, the reason that so many racers have been wronged, have been treated unfairly and given an unfair shake when they couldn't get down a racetrack in the last two decades, which at times was not uncommon in NHRA, the only reason that those racers were so unfairly singled out is because that's the only fair way to do it. We sent you, you staged you accepted it, you couldn't get down the racetrack, tough luck. The minute that you back up on that, it just opens up a whole can of worms. Again, like maybe I'm too black and white. I just, I think it should be black and white. Yeah, and that's hard to argue against, Luke. It really is. You know, I and from my view, I say fair is saying, guys, we made a mistake and, and we have to make this as fair as we can. I don't know that they admitted fault per se, but I, I think they, they did that in their decision, in their ruling. So, you know, fair is certainly very subjective and it's it's in the, the eye of the beholder. But in my opinion, they got last week right. And from the outside looking in, this week probably should stand as it is. And I know that looks hypocritical, but it's not the exact same situation in my head. While we're on the topic of questioning sanctioning bodies. Let's take a look at this WDRA versus Darlington Dragway fiasco. Have you kept up with this big job? Um, yes, somewhat. Uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's surrounded or it's surrounding a, a part of the sport that I don't pay much attention to. I don't, Same. I don't watch that type of racing. I don't, I don't know when it's coming on TV. I don't know what event, what a facility they're going to be at this week. So that's not something I'm interested in. So I looked at it about as much as I could without just saying idiots, but that's kind of what sells. Idiocy and, and wild shooting from the hip, crazy, whatever, just it sells. Obviously, this is selling. All right, so take the listener that may not be as aware through what happened first place in the first place and then the aftermath that we've experienced since. Yeah, so uh, obviously I don't know the, the whole situation, but the, the end result that is getting all of the attention is J.J. DeBoss has got old heavy, what they call his old Chevrolet pickup truck that, that you know, runs crazy fast. And they were having some fun at Darlington Dragway, and 
my understanding is Jeff Miles, the, the man that runs the facility, um, that owns it, runs it, whatever he does, was not there. And maybe that somebody was taking advantage of that. Maybe they wasn't. Maybe they were just trying to be wild no matter who was there. J.J. DeBoss decided it was a good idea to put someone on the, the bed cover of the truck. He's got, he's got a little bit of, so if you're, if you're watching, you see it, just a little bit of wing back there in the back where a person could lay down, uh, face down, hold on to the, the truck bed and keep their feet planted against that little lip in the back. And he decided he'd do that with someone on the back and make a pass. And he leaves with a, with a Luke Bogacki type wheelie. You know, he, he puts her up in the air pretty good. And he made a freaking run with a human on the back of his truck. I don't, I don't know that he, he laid it out and did all he could do. What, you know, 470 or whatever the thing will run, but it, it stood up pretty good. Luke made a pretty good run and it's got a human on the back of it. And he didn't just pop a wheelie and stop. He, uh, he hiked the front end up when it sat down, he, he laid in and just made a run down the racetrack. That was not probably the best idea he's ever had. I think we can all agree. It's a ridiculous stunt that has no business happening at any racetrack, regardless of sanction. I would agree. And, uh, you know, I know I went a long way to tell the story there, but dude went five something with a man laying on the back of his truck with no, no protection, no nothing. Uh, it's really dumb move. And in the aftermath of this, now the way that I digested this, let me just, let me just share this from my perspective first, Big Jed, because the first thing that I see about it is a press release from the WDRA saying that the WDRA has terminated the sanction of Darlington Dragway effective immediately over this spectacle, right? And, and the resulting social media turmoil around it, right? And, and the justification being this can't happen, right? This is, this is against insurance protocols. This is a bad look, like for, for all of the, the obvious reasons. And I'll be honest, Jed, my initial thought was I did not realize that there was, I didn't realize that there was more to the story. My initial thought was, wow, like, okay, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. This just, as, as I just said, this has no business taking place at any sanctioned racetrack. But at the same time, a year ago, when the WADRA was announced, Jeff Miles, Darlington Dragway was one of the figureheads, one of the, I think they, what they call it, the board members, right? It was, it was Royce Miller. I think, uh, I think Mr. Ledford was involved, Carl Blanton, Jeff Miles, Scott Gardner. I think that was the, 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 the board, so to speak, the figureheads of this. And I thought, man, it's kind of crazy that like, this is obviously an egregious thing, but if this is one of the, the key guys or one of the key facilities in the fold here, you can have a meeting. You probably you probably work this out, right? Like something like this happens at, I don't know, Summit Motorsports Park. Like I don't think NHRA just blindly strips the sanction. Something like this happens at the Texas Motorplex. Like I think they all get together to figure out a way to, to, to figure this out, I think. And that's what I would have assumed. So I thought that's kind of, that seems rash. Like there's got to be something something more behind the scenes that has led up to this. Well, it turns out there is. <laughs> Give us the details. There's more to this than meets the eye. And and I, I feel like uh, there was a little bit of grandstanding there by the WDRA. You know, they, they obviously had the announcement that you mentioned that they stripped Darlington Dragway of their sanction. They um, are parting ways, severing the relationship. They don't condone the actions that happened there, so on and so forth. You know, all of the, the trigger words that you need to see for somebody taking a by God stand and not putting up with this nonsense. Unfortunately, Luke, that decision to part ways was made literally months ago. The, the Darlington Dragway was the home of the WDRA World Finals. It's already been moved to Montgomery International Dragway for 2024 because Darlington Dragway was going back IHRA. That announcement was made, I don't I say months ago, maybe at least two months ago. They were already parting ways. That's that's been known for quite some time. So now you're going to come out and say that we're we're severing a relationship, parting ways, stripping them of their sanction. Well, y'all were already broke up. Y'all didn't like each other anymore. So that makes zero sense. I, I understand they're trying to take a stance and you know, show their members that uh, we, we stand for, for safer practices. We, we don't condone 
these types of activities, regardless of how many butts are in the seats, you know, this is not what we're going to be as a sanctioning body. We're not going to be associated with it. But they were broke up two months ago. They already got their ring back. I mean, they, they already they already got that shirt that, that Darlington Dragway was sleeping in that shirt every night. They already got it back. They're not boyfriend and girlfriend anymore and haven't been for a while. So just silly to me to to come out and say that. Yeah, I mean, it, just, I, just the way it, that I took it, it the, the more that I read into it, like this wasn't this was a battle over nothing more than PR. Right. Just like who's going to come out looking better. And if that's the battle. If that's the battle, like there may be, I'll readily admit there may be something I'm missing here. But if that's the battle, Darlington Dragway won today. Like they came out and made, or maybe yesterday, like they basically came out with a statement of their own and said, "Yeah, that was ridiculous. Like that, that wasn't us. That was JJ the boss. And you know what? JJ the boss ain't coming back. We can't have that. We can't have that as a WDRA track. We can't have that as an IHRA track. We can't have that as an upstanding member of the of the drag racing community. So. Regardless of our sanction, JJ DeBoss, not coming back. Got all the respect for him in the world. Can't have that here. And that's it. They basically said, yeah, whatever. Like, like we don't need we don't need WDRA to tell us we were wrong. We know that, that that that's messed up. That won't happen again. Done. Move on. And at that point, like they just position themselves. If it's a PR battle, they won. Yeah. And to me, I understand the uproar. I understand people condemning it, how dumb and stupid and silly it was, how dangerous it was. But what I don't understand is the the stance that we will not be affiliated with a drag strip that let this isolated incident from a, a band of gypsies happen. So so are you telling me, WDRA, that it's okay to be associated with probably 93% of your other facilities that have people smoking weed during the event, whether they're there watching, whether they're there competing? Um, it's, it's evident. I mean, I just went to a local test and tune Sunday and the, the people next to me had me so damn hungry. I could have ate the tires off my car. Uh, you know, WDRA, I get taking a stance and there's a way to do that without having to say we're stripping this, this track of its sanction, which again was all fodder because none of that mattered that you were already broken up. You, this is where you're going to take the stand and say, we will we will cut tracks off if this ever happens in another one of our facilities that we're associated with. Just don't understand it. There's so much bad going on it, at racetracks that people are doing that, that we need to get control of. This is certainly one of those things. But let's, let's focus on endangering lots of people and what's happening there, endangering lots of people, as opposed to taking our one stand on this isolated incident. Just... Seems like an insurance play of some kind. I don't know if we, if we needed to make a statement for our insurance companies or what we're doing, but just the whole thing to me was a little blown out of proportion and nobody needs to blow those words out of proportion. The, the danger and the unsafe act should have been condemned and should, have, should be stopped at every opportunity that you get the opportunity to do that. Can't believe that many people watched it and said, oh, hell yeah. Oh man, this is going to be cool. Let me let me get my video camera out. That's the scariest somebody, part. I agree. Somebody that could have stopped it on social media, you know? Yeah, there had to be somebody there that could stop it. So that's crazy to me that that happened. But regardless, um, it was a bad deal. But it don't need to end relationships like this. So just stop. Yeah. No. I mean, I'll give Don Scott the benefit of the doubt. Like that's a really smart dude. And there's probably a deeper chess play at hand here, right, in terms of insurance or public awareness or maybe setting the tone for other member facilities, whatever the case may be. It just comes across as petty and personal and directed strictly at whatever the disagreement is between Jeff Miles and Darlington Dragway and that organization. That's And that's not a good look. And, then that, and that's how it looks. So. Yeah, well said. I think that's it. We bashed NHRA. We bashed WDRA. I mean, I, I get Paige on here. I, I, I can get on IHRA about something. Team up. Yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. I'll take a couple of weeks off or something. We probably <laughs> ought to take a couple of weeks off or something. Uh, you know, there's, there's going to be a lot of blowback from our criticism this week. So I'm prepared. I'll take it. I know that uh, I look like a hypocrite on NHRA 
uh, rerun rulings and lack of. I certainly just tore WDRA a new one. You know, I'll probably be racing some of their events next year. So I killed IHRA this year and went to their world finals and nobody got mad at me. So WDRA, please let me off the hook as well when I when I come to some of your races. But Luke, it was a good show. Good stuff. A lot of good topics and um, certainly some things that we needed to discuss. But next week, we're going to get those final champions. We're going to see how these points battles played out and they are down to the wire. So excited about that. Looking forward to having that discussion and certainly, you know, hoping that uh, a couple of my, I guess my dogs get it done. They're in tough spots right now, Luke. Next week's show will bring the conclusion of our little win light bets wager, Big Jed. And, and I'll be honest, a week ago, I thought you played me, man. I, I, I really thought yeah, I, did I, didn't, I did not like my chances. I like my chances a little better going into Pomona. I think this could work out. Yeah, uh, yeah. Newsflash: uh, You're going to be better than me at that uh, at that game. When I thought I had you, and your strategy Everybody is going you to had play out. Everybody your thought you had me. Play out perfectly. <laughs> but all in all, guys, we appreciate you watching. If you're watching live here on Wednesday night, uh, if you're just listening on Friday, we thank you for that as well. And if you're doing both, then again, you really need a hobby of some kind, or it must be really bad weather where you're at. So, um, if you want to comment, surely. We're getting some comments, and I, I, I see I don't want to touch on everybody, but I see Chris Whitfield and Chris Garrettson uh, having some uh, some opinion on the reruns or lack thereof. And, I, again, I see those guys' angle. They, they uh, certainly Whitfield fell victim to it, so I understand Chris's take. And, you know, not being in the moment, I've got an opinion. If I was in sitting in Chris's car when that wind light come on and then it got taken away from me, I'm sure I'd feel exactly the way he feels. So I know how you guys feel and uh, certainly understand it completely. But if anybody else has some words they want to talk about or want to say about the show or some things we got right or got wrong, there's a place to do that. It's right here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page. You can uh, put it right here on this uh, page that you're watching right now or you can do it through private message. And uh, producer Mark will, uh, will snag that up and let us know what you had to say. Luke, I didn't see you go into the notebook. I don't I don't feel like he got a lot of shouts, if any. Shouts to the NHRA. Shouts to the WDRA. Shouts to Coleman McEffin Roddy. <laughs> that was a damn good shout list. And nice. I feel like every everything we said bad, you just made it. You just fixed it. You fixed every bit of it. That's what I do. Because you get shouts. You know, we, we get on you a little bit. But when you make the shout list, <laughs> that's legendary left. So... Congrats in HRA and WDRA and was it Coleman Roddy or Cole Roddy? Cole, Coleman Roddy. Coleman Roddy. Okay. That's the first time I ever heard that name. So I, I need to get better at, at my history, sportsman drag racing history. But anyway, Shouts congrats to, to, right to what? Shouts to my right ankle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was going to say shouts to your, uh, to your ankle brace or wrap or whatever you got it in. Shouts to Country Time Lemonade for providing the foundation for little Jack to knock a home run at Gulfport and uh, certainly shouts to Gary for the idea to make Jack rich and then just sitting back and allowing Jack to take advantage of it. Uh, I think the backstory behind that, my oldest son is so mad that he goes to the races <laughs> and loses money on entry fees and buybacks. Cause he has to pay for that. And that his little brother is making money selling lemonade. And now he's convinced himself retroactively that that lemonade stand was his idea. When he didn't even like the idea the first time we approached it. So. <laughs> well, it's his story. He can tell it any way he wants. Yeah, and right, he guys, uh, Luke and I are both active on the X. Uh, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X, Addis, Tagus, whatever you do there. We'd love to hear from you anytime and all the time. Thank you again for watching or listening or both. Next week's going to be an awesome show, and we can't wait to talk to you again real soon about more sport and drag racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. 
led by knowledgeable professionals. Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors, and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is, at each event, there are 100-plus entries. There's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.